Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can face any subject uh, in your truth and love. And today, God, as we close out this series, we ask that you would once again speak to us through your word and that you would open our hearts to receive your truth and then to live it out in in the power of your Holy Spirit in love so that our community, our region, ultimately our nation and world can experience your goodness and your salvation and your true riches. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Gospel of Luke, which was written by a Gentile, a person who was not a Jew, uh, who became a believer uh, sometime during the ministry of the Apostle Paul, tells us that the first three things that happened in Jesus' earthly ministry, number one, was he was baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. Then he immediately went out, after he was filled with the Holy Spirit, to be uh, tempted in the wilderness, actually the desert, for 40 days by the devil. And he overcame that temptation. And then the next thing that he did was he went to his hometown of Nazareth to preach his first message. And uh, as he went to that hometown meeting, uh, we're going to see what he spoke about that day. That's what we're going to do in Luke chapter 4. If you want to follow along, starts in verse 14. And it says this, Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Now think about that. Jesus is God, and yet it says he was filled with the Holy Spirit's power. And we actually have that record in, uh, after he was baptized. So why? Why did he need to be? Well, um, because he's fully God, and he's fully human, so he needs the, the Holy Spirit in his life so that he can speak the truth and think the truth and live the truth all the time. And we, as Orthodox followers of Jesus, believe there's only one God, but he expresses himself in three people, the Father, the Creator, Jesus, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so here's the thing that's amazing. We, as followers of Jesus, can also receive the power of the Holy Spirit. But there's something different about Jesus and us. You probably already figured it out. We're not God. We are not fully God. We are human beings. And the Apostle Paul told us that this struggle that goes on after Jesus becomes Savior and Lord in our life is the Holy Spirit comes in, but we still have the sinful nature, the flesh. And so I've often illustrated it by using two hands. This is the sinful nature. This is the Holy Spirit. And those two are in a war. In fact, in Galatians chapter 5, a passage I turn to a lot when we're talking about this relationship between the Holy Spirit and us, uh, Paul wrote these words. So I say... Let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses." So when we let the Holy Spirit lead in our lives, we too are able to speak the truth in love and live it out in our everyday lives. So let's continue. It says, reports about him, that is Jesus, spread quickly through the whole region. Now remember, Jesus lived 2,000 years ago. He didn't have a cell phone. He didn't have a phone. He, He didn't have any means of communicating, and nobody else did either, other than word of mouth. And yet it says that word traveled about him quickly throughout the region. 
So wherever Jesus went, he would speak the truth in a way that nobody ever had before. He would heal sick people. He would cast demons out of people. Sometimes he would raise people from the dead. And that kind of news spread like wildfire, even though there was no means of spreading it other than person to person. The next thing it says is, he taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. I had the opportunity last fall to go to Israel for the first time in my life, and I was in a couple of the synagogues where Jesus taught. Now, I don't know what you think, but I thought these synagogues would hold, you know, several hundred people. Most of the synagogues held about maybe a little more than this middle section, you know, 30 to 50 people. And everywhere Jesus went, we were told that people spoke well of him. But finally, he decided the, the big day came. He's going to announce his ministry plans, his mission statement, if you will. And he goes back home to Nazareth, where he grew up. And this is what it says. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. So he went as usual to the synagogue. I want to underline that for a minute. Jesus is God. He doesn't need to go to worship on the Sabbath. Or on Sunday. <laughs> he, he's God. It's that, in fact, we come to worship him. So why did he go to the synagogue as usual? Why was it his habit to go to the synagogue? Well, I want to underline those three C's that I mentioned during the Lord's Supper. He went there to celebrate God, his Father, and, and the Holy Spirit himself. He went to celebrate with other believers what was going on in the world because of who God was, to worship. Then he went to connect with other people. Jesus found it very important to connect with other people. And he went there to contribute. And Jesus contributed in a way no one ever had because when he preached and taught, it was the very word of God coming out of his mouth. And he healed people and he cast demons out of people. As I said, he even raised dead people. So he had a lot to contribute. And then it says, this is what happened. The scroll of the Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. For he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scriptures you've just heard have been fulfilled this very day. Now, I want you to imagine being there. It says he was stood up to read the scripture. What you may or may not know is that there were no chairs in the synagogues in those days, so all of you would be standing up. So I guess you could be thankful that it's not those days, right? So everybody was standing up. The, the scroll was handed. He read the scriptures, Jesus, and then if you were the rabbi who read the scripture, then you got to sit down. Nobody else got to sit down. Just you got to sit down to teach. And so it says he sat down, and as he was sitting there, every eye was focused on him intently. They wanted to know, what, what is he going to say? And what he said was, I am the Messiah. I am God's anointed one. I am the one who's coming to fulfill the prophecy that you just heard me read from Isaiah. And Jesus said that his agenda as the Messiah included these five things. Number one, to bring good news to the poor. Number two, to proclaim release of the captives. Number three, give sight to the blind. Number four, set the oppressed free. And number five, proclaim the time of the Lord's favor. Now that is a very ambitious agenda. But the very first one, first on his list, was bringing good news to the poor. I want to ask you a question. If you were the Messiah and you could do anything, and if you were the Messiah, you could do anything, is the first thing you would do 
proclaim good news to the poor. Now, I'm only guessing, but if I'm guessing, I would say no. That wouldn't be the first thing you would do. I think the first thing you would do would probably be bring salvation to everybody or heal every sick person in the world or bring peace to the world. I mean, wouldn't those things seemingly be higher on the list? And Jesus did bring peace to people in the world, and Jesus did heal people, and Jesus did bring salvation to people. In fact, his death on the cross is the chief way that we receive and the only way that we can receive salvation. But Jesus said his first and primary goal was to proclaim good news to the poor. That's why this is an elephant. This is, and for those of you who are new watching online for the first time, this is the sixth week of a six-week series. So far, the elephants, which are awkward things that we don't really want to talk about in the church. The first one was abortion, and then we talked about racism. We talked about suicide. We talked about sexuality. We talked about widows and orphans. And today, we're going to talk about the poor. And one of the reasons it might be an elephant in the church today to talk about the poor is we don't even think about the poor most of the time. Be honest, most of the time we're going about our daily life, we're not thinking about poor people. We're thinking about what's on our agenda, what what we have on our to-do list. Well, guess what? If we're followers of Jesus Christ, that's the number one thing on our to-do list. In fact, the take-home point for today, and that's the point that I'm going to make from Scripture that's most important today that we want to take home and live out in the week ahead is God's love requires that we meet the spiritual and physical needs of the poor. When Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, he made the poor our concern. Because if he's Lord and Savior in our life, what's most important to him is most important to us. So what do you think of when you think of the poor or the poverty-stricken person? Do you think of the the dark-skinned child in some third-world country with the distended belly? Do you think of a homeless person in an inner-city street? Do you maybe hear the word poor and you go, well, they're just lazy. If they would just work, they wouldn't be poor. It's their fault. What do you think of when you think of the poor? Now, why were the poor such a big deal to Jesus anyway? There's a pastor named J.D. Greer, and he had some insight about why the poor were so important. And this is what he said. Karl Marx famously called Christianity the opiate of the people. But I think it's actually the smelling salts. Because when you really understand God's grace, you wake up to injustice and you are moved by compassion. The reverse is true as well. When you are blind to the needs of the poor, it raises the question of whether or not you've actually ever believed the gospel because you are unaware of your own pressing need for God's merciful attention to you in your sin. So let's reflect on that for a moment. J.D. Greer says that when we know the grace that God has poured out on us, when we know how much love that God has for us because he died on the cross for us, it's not an opiate that dulls our thinking. It actually is smelling salts that wakes us up. Now, I don't know if you've ever had smelling salts put under your nose, but when I was in eighth grade, I was playing on a ninth grade football team and I got my bell rung. All I know is I was tackling a guy, and the next thing I know, I went, whoa, there's this smell. They carried me off the field. I don't remember that. They got out the smelling salts. I don't remember that, but they put it under my nose, and I woke up, and I jumped up, and the coach said, what's your name? I said, Chris Marshall, and he said, get back in there, (laughs) which probably explains a lot. Uh, Anyway, (laughs) I did go right back in there, like the coach said, but here's the point. When we understand how much God has done for us, 
It wakes us up to the needs of those around us, especially those who are physically or spiritually poor. Once we realize what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, when we realize how much we owe him, which is everything, then we realize how important it is for us to look around and to see the needs of those who are poor. And we can argue about what's poor, you know, spiritually poor, physically poor. We can debate about those kind of things, and we can wonder what caused all of that. But when Jesus Christ becomes Savior and Lord in our lives, then what matters to him matters to us. It was his first priority, so it's our first priority. One more point that J.D. Greer made about the poor. In the days of Amos, which was a prophet, who was a prophet who lived 750 to 800 years before Jesus, The Jews weren't very good at dealing with the poor or addressing the needs of the poor. And they had excuses. They had two primary excuses why they didn't care about the poor. Number one is they said, we're God's chosen people. We are forgiven. We are God's favorites. And secondly, our religious zeal makes up for our spiritual shortcomings. In other words, we have this close relationship with God. He loves us. We're his favorites. So we don't have to worry about everybody else. And sure, we know we, we, we give our alms. You know, we fast. We pray. But, but if we don't care for the real, actual needs of people, you're going to have to forgive us because God loves us anyway. And back in those days, 750 years before Jesus, there were no social services that met the needs of the poor. There weren't in Jesus' time. In fact, the social services that meet the needs of the poor are a relatively recent invention of, of humanity. Um, and, and sometimes that allows us as Christians to forget that Jesus said the poor are our primary responsibility, whether they're spiritually poor or physically poor. If you know the Bible well, you might be thinking of a couple passages of Scripture right now because Jesus said this, you will always have the poor among you and you can help them whenever you want to, but you will not always have me. And the Apostle Paul once said, even while we were with you, you, we gave you this command, those unwilling to work will not get to eat. Now, I've heard those two passages of Scripture to explain why we don't really have to deal with the poor. The first thing is, Jesus was not saying you don't have to deal with the poor when he said you're always going to have the poor with you. In fact, in the context of what happened, a woman came into a meeting. It was just a few days before Jesus was arrested and then crucified. And she came into the meeting with this large jar of ointment. It was very expensive. And she broke it open and she poured it over Jesus' head and she anointed him. And Jesus would say that she did that for his burial. And, and what he was saying was not, you shouldn't have used that money because there were a few in the group that said, hey, you could have taken that jar of ointment. You could have sold it and gotten a lot of money. We could have fed the poor. And what Jesus was not saying was you should never feed the poor. What he was saying is look at what this woman did. What an extravagant step of generosity this woman took in taking that and investing it in me. So we should have extravagant generosity to God, to Jesus, to the Holy Spirit. And at the same time, we must do what was important to Jesus, which is to minister to the poor. And the thing is, why did Jesus start with the poor? Why was that the first thing he talked about? Well, if you go to the Sermon on the Mount, the very first thing Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount is, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And in the Sermon on the Plain, Jesus said, Blessed are you who are poor now, just poor, not poor in spirit, because yours is the kingdom of God. What's up with that? Why are those who are physically poor, you know, materially poor, those who are spiritually poor, why are they on their way to the kingdom of God? Well, think about it. 
When we think that we're providing everything for our own benefit, when we think that we're it, when we think that we're self-made men or women, we don't think about God. We don't think about the kingdom of God. Hey, I can take care of my own needs. I, I've had people say that, you know, I don't need God. Look, I, I've taken care of all my own needs all my life. But here's something that we need to understand. Every good and perfect gift, whether it's a spiritual gift or a physical gift, comes from God. That's what James told us, that it comes down from the Father of lights, from God. Every good gift. And in the book of Deuteronomy, it says even the ability to work is a gift from God. So if we can work hard, if we have the ability to do that, if we can work smart, if we have the ability to do that, those are gifts from God. So we were all once poor, whether it was physical or spiritual or both, We were all once poor, and so God, in Jesus Christ, gives us the riches of salvation. And once we have those riches, we're called to share them with everyone. So what about Paul's statement to the Thessalonian believers that the one who can't work or doesn't, who won't work, not can't work, who won't work, doesn't get to eat? Well, we need to know the context of that, too. What happened was Paul spread the gospel in in a place called Thessalonica. People started believing in him, in, in Jesus. They got saved, but then they thought... Because of Paul's teaching, Jesus is coming back in like a couple weeks, maybe a couple months at the most. So why should we work? We should just sit around and have worship service. Let's praise God. Let's, like, let's just stay here and worship until Jesus comes back. Nobody needs to work. Somebody else can pay for our food and all that. That's pretty much what they were saying. What Paul said was, uh-uh. If you're not willing to work, if you're able, then you shouldn't get to eat. Now, if you can't work... If you're not able, then yeah, somebody needs to care for you. And there's lots of passages of Scripture that talk about that. But what Jesus and Paul were saying was, we who are rich, whether it's because we now have a relationship with Jesus Christ or because we have some material goods, we need to minister to those who are poor and bring the good news to them. That is the crux of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So as we look around in our own lives as American Christians in 2019... What does it mean to bring good news to the poor? Well, I believe that for most of us, it starts by recognizing that we're rich. (laughs) You're not going to help the poor. I'm not going to help the poor until we realize how rich we are. And if we know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, there's nothing richer than that. Because Jesus said that when we know him, one day we're going to spend eternity with him. And he also told us that we would have an abundant life right here, right now on the earth. So that's where riches start. But the other thing is, as Americans, we're pretty rich in material things compared with the rest of the world. A couple years ago, and actually two or three times now, we've done a series here at New Life, and I'd encourage you to look it up in the archives on the the website. It was called Congratulations, You're Rich. And it came from 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verses 17 and 19, just three verses, where Paul wrote these words to Timothy. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need. Always ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. So the point of that series is... We often read the words, teach those who are rich in this world, and we assume that we are not rich. And that releases us from the obligations that we find there. And I want to just point out two obligations, because you might not know it's your obligation to enjoy 
the blessings that God has given you. But you are. We are. We're supposed to enjoy it. But the, the second thing we're supposed to do is to share with those who are in need. When we have wealth, we're to share it with those who don't. Now, one of the things that we need to realize is if we're average Americans, average income Americans, we are wealthier than 95% of the people in the world. So this impacts us greatly when we consider Jesus' mission to share with those who are spiritually poor and those who are physically poor in the world. It's our mission. It's his mission, primary mission, so it's our mission. I want everybody to remember something this morning. It's going to be up on the screen. One person can make a difference, so imagine what a difference you can make. It's the same thing I said last week when we were talking about widows and orphans, right? I said, I don't want everybody in this place to do something. I just want you to. And one person can make a difference. I want you to think back to a time when you didn't know Jesus, if you can remember that time. And I want you to think about this. Was it a thousand people that told you about Jesus? A hundred people that told you about Jesus? Was it one person that told you about Jesus? Was there some person in your family, some person in your church, some person at school or work that told you about Jesus? And, and, and in that moment, you realized something. You were poor. You were lost. You needed Jesus. And in coming to know Jesus, you realized it changed everything. It, it actually changed your eternity. Instead of going to hell one day, now you're going to heaven one day. And you have those amazing riches. Now imagine if that's what happened to you, what will happen when you share Jesus at work or at school or at home, wherever you are. And, and again, I know some of you, I know many of you actually here in this church, uh, New Life Christian Ministries, over the years, you have given money so that somebody could go on a mission trip who wouldn't have been able to if you hadn't done that. I know some of you who have given cars to other people. You have helped people out. Today, after the, second, or the third worship service, people are going to gather in this place and fill up blessing bags. You've given money so that people can be blessed with food in this community because there are some people who don't have abundance when it comes to financial means. And so all of those things are reality that you have provided. And what Jesus said, on the very first day when he established the ground, you know, the groundwork for his ministry was, I came to bring good news to the poor, both spiritual good news and good news for those. I mean, think of how many times Jesus fed hungry people. Think of how many times Jesus touched somebody who was physically sick and made them well. Every day, Jesus was doing something that helped somebody spiritually and physically in their life. So that was his work. It's our work. It's our mission. So here's today's next step. I will care for a poor person in a practical way this week. Whether the person is spiritually poor or materially poor, if you see somebody in that kind of need, you're gonna, the next step says, I'm going to help somebody like that. I'm going to tell somebody, my lost coworker, I'm going to tell them about Jesus. I'm going to, I know a friend who's having some financial troubles. Maybe they lost their job. And so let's invite them over for dinner this week. I know some of you give to ministries that provide clean water, you know, in other countries in the world. In Cambodia, for example, 85% of the disease is caused by unclean water. If they just had clean water to drink, could get rid of 85% of the disease. And so that's something. Whatever it is, this week do something to care for a poor person. Now, if you're watching online or you've been here in the room and, and, and everything I've said, you've been thinking, spiritually poor. I think that's me. I have a prayer that I want you to see. It's going to be up on the screen. It says, Jesus, I need you. 
Without you as Savior and Lord in my life, whatever else I have, I am poor. I offer you my life. Take over. Fill me with your life that is truly life. And empower me by your Holy Spirit to live a rich life to your glory. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've never asked Jesus to take away your poverty, and, and spiritual and you know, material poverty, Jesus cares about both, um, this prayer might be a prayer for you. I'm going to say it again if you want to pray along with me uh, for the first time, or maybe you just need to you know, reaffirm that prayer. Would you say it with me? Jesus, I need you. Without you as Savior and Lord in my life, whatever else I have, I am poor. I offer you my life. Take over. Fill me with your life that is truly life and empower me by your Holy Spirit to live a rich life to your glory. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that every need that we have, you know about before we have it. God, we thank you that Jesus came to give us the life that is truly life. We thank you for his sacrifice on the cross that gave us new life. And we pray today that you would fill us anew with your Holy Spirit, that we would think about the things that are important to you, starting with the poor in spirit and the poor in material goods. God, we pray that you would use us this week to bring you glory by the way we live towards other people and that we would address all of these elephants that we have talked about in a way that will see your goodness, your, your riches, your life that is truly life come into into play in each and every one. God, we pray for your provision. We pray for your healing. We pray for your peace. In Jesus' name, amen.